stand up. It's going to be a great day talking about the second coming of Jesus Christ. It's good to have visitors in the room. Looking forward to Gary Marvel speaking this morning. But until then, let's lift our voices. God has done great things. We're going to sing about it right now. Conquer the grave. 
It is going to be a fabulous day here at Harmony. I'm glad you're all here. We have our good friend and member Gary Barbel speaking this morning. How many are here just to see Gary? I know, just a few. He always does a great job. I'm really looking forward to this message on the second coming. Uh, right out of our remarkable series in Mark chapter 16. So I'm glad you're here this morning. There's a couple prayer requests we want to talk about. The first is Vicki Robinson. Vicki and Larry were founding members of Harmony, and Vicki is in the hospital in very critical condition. Uh, she's had a couple strokes, so we just need to lift the Robinsons up in prayer. And there's so many things going on here for Harmony this week. Uh, the holiday bazaar that's coming up Saturday, um, Friday night, Josh Brown. You remember Josh? He's getting married. Oh, pray for him. And uh, just so many good things happening. Pastor John is in Florida today. He's at a Timothy Initiative conference. Um, if you remember, Dr. David Nelms has spoken at our church a few times. He is the founder and president of the Timothy Initiative. And John's down there with hundreds of pastors this morning, um, learning more about the Timothy Initiative and Harmony's role in helping plant churches globally. So he's excited to be there. And we're excited that Gary's speaking. So let's just have a great time this morning. I want to welcome all the visitors here in the room. If you're watching online, thanks for tuning in. Uh, it is going to be a great day. You know, the, the old song, I love to tell the story. The, the second line is, to those who know it best. And every time that I hear a message on the second coming and the rapture and, and all of those happenings, I love to hear those stories because I'm looking forward to that the day that my faith becomes sight. So that's why I'm excited this morning to have Gary speak to us, just to encourage us because, all right, I'm, I'm, I'm not 60 years old yet. I'm not even 59 years old yet, but for 58 years, I have been hearing Jesus Christ is coming soon. And for 58 years, he hasn't come. But as I read, as I hear messages, like this, I can tell you right here, right now, that Jesus Christ is coming soon, and we need to be ready for it. So let's be an encouragement to each other today. Let's listen to the message. We're going to sing a couple more songs, then Gary's going to speak. He promised we would be out of here by two this afternoon. So just hold on tight as we talk about the second coming of Jesus Christ. Let's open in prayer. Father, I'm thankful this morning that you've given us this place to come and worship you to sing your praise, to learn more about you. Father, there's over 3,000 promises in the Bible. And one of those promises is you're coming back for us. So, Father, let us grab a hold of your promises this morning. Let the words in the message speak to us in great things. Father, we know we fight battles every day, but we have to remember that the battles are not ours, they're yours. 
So, Father, be with us in a great way. We thank you and praise you for all that you do for us. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Stand up with us as we talk about those battles. Jesus, there's nothing impossible for you. When all I see are the ashes, you see the beauty. When all I see is a cross, God, you see an empty
promise to fight our battles for us. There's power in the name of Jesus. There's power in his voice. There's power in his word. It's a beautiful name. It's a wonderful name. And it is a powerful name. So let us lend ourselves to him this morning. Put everything else aside. Open up our hearts this morning and sing to him. You were the word at the beginning. One with God the Lord most high. Your hidden glory in creation. Now revealed in you our Christ. What a beautiful name it is. What a beautiful name it is, the name of Jesus Christ, our King. What a beautiful name it is, nothing compares to this. What a beautiful name it is, the name. Silence the boast of sin and you guys are sounding awesome. Sing it out. Heavens are roaring, the praise of your glory, for you are raised to life again. Lord, you have no rival, you have no Yours is the glory. Yours is the 
we gather here this morning to, to learn from your word. I pray that you would open our hearts, open our minds. Father, help us to put things aside that are distracting us. And Father, let us hear your voice very clearly through Gary's message this morning. Father, just be with us in a great way. We thank you and praise you for all that you do for us. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You may be seated. So I'm like a bad penny. I keep coming back. And... Uh, I didn't expect to be back this soon. Spoke about six weeks ago. Also, I'll give you an update on my mom. Last time I spoke, uh, she came to hear me speak, and then uh, we were going to meet her for lunch, and she tripped and fell on the sidewalk out front of the restaurant, and she had a hairline fracture of her hip and a T12 vertebrae in her back. So then she spent the next three weeks in a rehab, and she's home, and she's doing better, and she's, in fact, they said that she didn't need uh, therapy at home. So she's, she's tough. She is tough. Anyway, so uh, those of you who knew about that and prayed about it, really appreciate it and got answered those prayers. And she's not a spring chicken anymore, as you can imagine, but she's doing great. And so thank you for that. Um, just want to give you an update on that. Also want to tell you about, you've probably seen these around the church. So uh, my friend Patty Morrow wanted me to make this announcement that a holiday, holiday bazaar is uh, next Saturday, November 13th. Is that right? And so there's all kinds of stuff here. You know, you're going to be doing Christmas shopping soon. This would be a good place to come and get some, maybe some bargains. I've just got a fly buzz in my hair, <laughs> buzz in my ear. Satan sending his messengers trying to stop me from saying this. So please go to the holiday bazaar next Saturday from 9 to 1. And so, Patty, I did my duty. There, she gave me the thumbs up. So, uh, go to the first slide. I did this little uh, caricature, a little cartoon for you. There it is. Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Have you ever had that experience? I know since the 1970s, um, that was when I was first introduced to the second coming of Jesus Christ. My dad used to talk to me about it all the time. Not all the time, but we have discussions, and I still remember it very vividly when I was a teenager, and uh, there was a great excitement after Hal Lindsey wrote the book, The Late Great Planet Earth, and people were talking about it, and then pastors were preaching on it, and then Jesus didn't come. And then, uh, and so it's almost like uh, you get tired of hearing it after a while. So it, this was preached predominantly, you know, as I remember in the 70s, 80s, uh, church I was going to, Bethesda Baptist Church, Pastor Don Tyler was faithful in preaching, and in fact, my wife got saved under the preaching of the book of Revelation because, because Pastor Tyler was talking about Jesus is going to come back. Are you ready? And she knew she wasn't ready to meet him, and she got saved. The teaching of this doctrine is in the Bible. Jesus talked about he's coming again. We need to talk about it. It's purifying. We live differently if we know he might come back today. Now, last time I spoke, 
we, we spoke focused on the rapture of the church. And some people say, well, the word rapture is not in the Bible. Yeah, the word Bible is not in the Bible either. The word Trinity is not in the Bible. There's a lot of words that we use in English that aren't in the Bible. But the, the word har, harpazo in the Greek is translated in our language, rapture, meaning caught away. And we showed that in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And my point in showing you this cartoon is I don't want you to get tired of hearing about it and not talk about it anymore. We should talk about it. Uh, and so what we're going to do today is we're, we just happen to come to Luke chapter, I mean Luke, Mark chapter 13. In Mark chapter 13, Jesus talks about it because he's asked by his disciples about it. This also, this conversation, which is called the Olivet, Olivet Discourse, is also talked about in Matthew 24, writes about it, Matthew 24 and 25, Luke 21. Now, the last time I was here, we looked at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, which is the rapture. I also showed you in Luke chapter 17, which Jesus talks about him coming, but that is a picture of the rapture because when he says when he comes, it will be like lightning from the east to the west in the sky. And he also says that there will be two in the bed. One will be taken, one will be left. One, two women working in the mill, one will be taken, one will be left. And two in the field, one will be taken, one will be left. That is a picture of the rapture. And so Jesus talked about it. He also talked about it would be like the days of Noah and the days of Lot. In the case of those two men, they were taken out of that situation and rescued before the judgment of God came on the world and that city. And so I think the Bible is very clear. It talks about the rapture of the church. And I also gave the illustration of the Galilean wedding. The Galilean wedding, just to remind you, and I'm not going to preach the whole service that I did the first time. But the Galilean wedding, uh, I had many people come and talk to me about that afterwards. And you could, if you rented the uh, movie the, Before the Wrath, you could see this all laid out, all of, these, all of these pastors talking about it. But here it is, the Galilean wedding, what they would do is the, the, the groom, the man would decide, I, I like her as my wife. And, you know, maybe they've had some conversations. So the father of the groom and the father of the bride get together and they, they decide a bride price. So now the, the groom is going to pay for his bride. And it's kind of a picture of Jesus Christ paying for his church, paying with his own life. Then, once they come to an agreement, then the groom will take a cup of wine and offer it to his bride-to-be. Now, she has, an, she has an opportunity to do one of two things. She can either take the cup, and if she drinks it, it means that I accept your proposal, and we are, are basically betrothed from that point on. But the, the wedding won't, I mean, the marriage won't be consummated until sometime later, but that, but if she rejects it, then there's no marriage. She has a choice. But if she accepts it, then he takes the cup and he said, I will not drink of this cup again until I drink it with you in my father's house. Sound familiar? That's what Jesus said to his disciples in the upper room at the Last Supper. Then... The groom would go to his father's house and he would build on, and it was like a compound, and he would build on a house to his father's house, another big room, and, and sometimes that would take a year. In the meantime, his, his bride-to-be had to be ready anytime. She didn't know when he was coming back, and even the groom didn't know when he was coming back because the father had to tell him when it was okay to go get his bride. Sound familiar? When Jesus said, no man knows the day or the hour? Only the father knows. So... He, say he builds the house, then he, his father tells him, okay, you can go get your bride, and he comes back, and he comes, he didn't come alone, 
He comes with an entourage. He comes with all of his friends, and they're carrying torches, and they blow the shofar trumpet, announcing to the whole town that he's coming for his bride. And the bride, when she hears the shofar, she comes out to meet she comes out to meet her groom. Now, here's an interesting thing. They built a seat with two poles on each side. And this is the way they would carry the uh, Ark of the Covenant well, as well. There'd be a man on the front, a man on the back, and they would lift it up. And there's a seat. And the bride would come out, and she would sit in the seat. And then they would lift her off of the earth. And they would carry her. And they would say that they were flying her back to her new home, which she's never seen yet. And that is a picture of the rapture. Once they get there, then they go in and they consummate the marriage. And then there's this party for seven days, a whole week. They celebrate this marriage. And that is a picture of the marriage supper of the Lamb mentioned in Revelation chapter 19. And it goes on for seven years. So let's go to the, my slides here. I'll show you just to repeat these. Uh, oh, I wanted to point this out. In uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 and 18. But look at 2 Timothy 4, 8. It says this, Finally, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that day. And not only for me, but also for all those who loved his appearing. And in, in New Living Translation, it says, For all who eagerly look forward to his appearing. Did you know you can get a crown just because we are talking about this this morning and looking forward to the return of Jesus Christ? There's a crown laid up for you for that if you're looking forward to his return. Next slide. So this was um, my quick timeline, starting with uh, Christ's first coming. He came so he could die for our sins and pay for the bride price, actually. And then he rose for, back to life again and offers us eternal life for those who put their trust in him. Now, from that point on, from the time of Pentecost on, we have been in the church age. This is the time when... God is growing his kingdom one person at a time, people coming to Christ, and they get added to the kingdom. Of, and so this is the church age. Then the next slide is, shows that what we're waiting on is the rapture of the church. When Christ will come in the air, according to the First Thessalonians 4, he doesn't come all the way to the earth. We go to meet him in the air, is what it says. Next is, is the marriage supper of the Lamb, which I mentioned that. Now, next slide this is what we're going to talk a little bit about today because this is what Jesus talks about in Mark chapter 13. The seven-year tribulation period, it doesn't give you all the dates, but he mentions Daniel, and Daniel gives you the time period, and it's for a week of years, seven years. And so that's going to be taking place on the earth. So the next slide, we see Christ's second coming, and that's what he's also going to be talking about today. His second coming, which he comes all the way to the earth, and this coming, he this is after the tribulation period. He defeats the Antichrist and the false prophet. They're cast uh, into the bottomless pit. And then he sets up his kingdom on earth, which will reign, next slide, for a, a thousand years. This will be the millennial reign of Christ. And so that's all we're going to talk about today. Next slide is the second coming. Uh, Mark chapter 13, verses 1 and 2. We'll look at them real quickly. And you're not going to believe this, but I forgot my contact lenses today. So I'm going to have to do this. There we go. Hey, I can see. Then as, we, then as he went out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Teacher, see what manner of stones and what buildings are here. And Jesus answered and said to him, Do you see these great buildings? Not one stone will be left on another. That shall not be thrown down. So that's an interesting take. Um, 
Not one stone will be left on another. I just want to propose something to you that I heard John MacArthur say, and I, and I think this probably, I think this probably preaches. So, he said that um, in Luke chapter 19, I can't see that either. Luke chapter 19 is the king. Uh, so Jesus comes into Jerusalem, and they're laying. He's riding a donkey, and they lay down palm branches, and they're preaching. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And the Pharisees said to Jesus, tell them to stop saying that. And then he says to them, he says, I tell you, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. Okay, keep that in mind. And then as he approached Jerusalem, he saw the, and the city and he wept over it. And after 19 verse 42, it says, and he said, if you, even you had only known the day that what would bring you peace, uh, but now it is, un, it, it is hidden from your eyes and the days will come upon you. And then he tells them they're going to be surrounded by enemies and they're going to be destroyed and killed and their children killed. And then he says, and they will leave not one stone on another because, they will, because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. So in other words, what he's saying is that he's repeating that the stones of the temple will be torn down, not one stone left on another, because why? Because they didn't recognize him when he came. They didn't recognize God coming to them. This was judgment coming upon Israel. I tell you today, and my son, he's here today, he, he said, you go to Jerusalem today, you'll see those stones laying in the Kidron Valley. Not one stone left on another. The temple's not there. And those stones are a testimony to what Jesus said. He prophesied 40 years before it happened in 70 AD, Titus, the Roman general, came and destroyed Jerusalem. And he didn't want to destroy the temple, but it was covered with, with gold. And there was a fire, and the gold started running down into the cracks of all the stones. And to get the gold, he gave the okay to tear all the stones apart so they could get to the gold. And, what, and Jesus' prophecy was fulfilled. Mark writes this book about 64 A.D., six years later, that was fulfilled. Let's follow on here with our text in verse 3. Now, so Jesus and his disciples are in Jerusalem, and they're by the temple, and they mention what these great stones. And the stones were huge. Some of them were 50 feet long, 15 feet tall. I, we don't know how in the world they moved them. And Herod had started building that, rebuilding. The temple was already there, but he wanted to make it really nice because he was trying to win favor with the Jewish people because he's not Jewish. And he was trying to win favor from them. And so uh, he spent 20 years up until the time Christ was here for when he was born building the temple. It, they ended up spending 80 years building the temple and making it nicer and covering it with gold and all kinds of stuff. What great stones were there? Now, Jesus leaves. He, he actually prophesies it's going to be destroyed. And then he walks across the Kidron Valley up to the Mount of Olives. And that's where he sits. And he's looking out across the valley at the temple. And then this is what happens, verse 3. Now, as he sat on the Mount of Olives opposite of the temple, Peter, James, John, and Andrew asked him privately. So these two sets of brothers, James and John, Peter and Andrew, come and ask him privately, tell us, when will these things be, and what will be the sign when all these things will be fulfilled? So two questions. When is this going to happen, what you just said? 
And what will be the sign? Uh, in, um, in Matthew 24, this is what they said. There's one thing that Matthew adds here. He says, they, te- they, said, he, they said, tell us, when will this happen and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? So in Matthew's account, he adds one little thing there. And I, I imagine when you take scripture, you have to combine it together. And so if one guy leaves something out, it doesn't mean that, he, that it didn't happen. It just he wasn't giving you every detail. And Matthew picks up a detail here. And so this is what Jesus says in verse 5. Jesus answered them began to say, Take heed that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name, saying, I am he, and will deceive many. But when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be troubled, for such things must happen. But the end is not yet. For many will... uh, So... But the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And there will be earthquakes in various places. And there will be famines and troubles. These are the beginnings of sorrows. In the uh, ESV, it says birth pains. Think about birth pains. Uh, I have not experienced it. I witnessed it with my wife. And in the beginning, you know, they're far apart. And they're, they're painful, but not too bad and then as we get closer and closer to the birth then they get stronger and they get closer together and so what he's giving for his he's giving us here uh, things to look for but these things have been going on since the beginning of time actually the first war occurred in genesis chapter 14 and ever since then men have warred against other men when the, the, the word here says nation will rise against nation the word in the Greek is ethnos. It's the word we get ethnicity from. And it actually means different people groups. So it's not necessarily a nation as we think of a nation today. It could be a people group. Do you think that's going on today? Absolutely it is. It's what CRT is about. See, I try to look at what the Bible says and then see if it's happening in the culture. It's happening. Anti-Semitism has been going on since the time of Abraham. And it, it continues to ramp up. Israel, small nation about the size of New Jersey, and yet it's the focal point of the world. Anytime there's a hiccup over there, the whole world knows about it. And they're surrounded by enemies who want to drive them into the sea. So we're going to have false Christ. We're going to have people who claim to be Christ. That has happened on and on. I'll just give you a couple of examples. Uh, Charlie Manson said he was Jesus. Uh, and then Jim Jones. There was a Jim Jones. And some of you are old enough to remember Jonestown. And uh, over 900 people were killed because they drank poisoned uh, Kool-Aid. But this guy said that he was Jesus. Uh, David Koresh never actually said he was Jesus, but he was a messiah. There, there have been these, and then uh, Sun Myung Moon, who is the head of the Unification Church, uh, he claimed to be Jesus as well. This has been going on for all time. Let me give you one little thing here to think about that John MacArthur mentioned, and I'll try to go through this very quickly. The, uh, 
Islam has an eschatology. They have uh, an end times belief system. And it's in the Sunnah, which is also called the Hadith. So it's an extra book uh, beside the Quran. And so in their book, uh, their, their Messiah is called the Mahdi. He's the 12th Imam. And he's alive on the earth somewhere. And he's been alive for thousands of years, is what they say. And he will show himself at a time when there's really a lot of trouble. And some like wars and something. And he's going to come and stop it. And he's going to bring peace. In fact, they say that Revelation chapter 6 is a picture of him coming on a white horse. Now, if you know book, the book of Revelation, you know very clearly that that is the description of the, Messiah, of the uh, Antichrist. Uh, if you look at it, he comes on a white horse carrying a bow, but no arrows. He comes in peace. And the Antichrist will come initially as a man of peace, bringing peace, and the world will look to him. But... There's also another character that uh, the Islam Muslims believe, and that is that the Jesus, they believe in Jesus, but not the Jesus of the Bible. And their Jesus, he never died. Their Jesus, he's not God. Their Jesus was just taken up to heaven like Elijah was and is going to come back. And when he comes back, here's why he comes back. He's going to come back to tell all the Christians you were wrong. And, and he's going to try to get everybody to worship the Mahdi. This is just the opposite of what the Bible says. This is the false prophet and the Antichrist. And they also believe in an Antichrist. They believe that he's Dajjal, and he will come in the, in the sky, and he's riding a donkey, and he only has one eye for some reason, so he has a blind eye, and he's coming, and he proclaims himself to be Jesus, but the Jesus of their, the false prophet, actually, is going to destroy the Jesus coming in the air and then they'll set up Islam, Sharia law, through the whole world. It's just like Satan to take something and turn it, take something from, that's true from the Bible and turn it completely around. Will that happen? I don't know. But it's what they are teaching. I also went to Lamb and Lion Ministries and found the same information. So uh, I'm not just saying this is what John MacArthur says, but it, it goes on from there. So... Uh, also, there's, so there's wars and rumors of wars. Wars have been going on for all time. But Zbigniew Brzezinski wrote a book in 1993 about the wars that took place in the 20th century. And he says 175 million people died from political wars. 175 million in just 100-year period. So, verse 9 but watch out for yourselves, for they will deliver you up uh, to councils, and you will be beaten in the synagogues. You will be brought before rulers and kings for my name's sake, for a testimony to them. And the gospel will be first preached to all the nations. But when they arrest you and deliver you up, you will do not worry beforehand or premeditate what you will speak uh, but whatever is given you in that hour, speak that. For it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. Uh, and then he says, Now brother will betray brother to death. I can see it up there. That's better. Uh, well, I'm going to stop right there. Let me just cover what happens here. So this exactly is what was going to happen. So the disciples are asking him, when's going to be the end of the age? 
When are all these things going to happen? And now he's giving them nothing but bad news. Can you imagine being his disciples? They thought that his kingdom was going to get set up. Okay, he, maybe he's going to go back to heaven, but he's going to come right back, and, he, and he's going to set up his kingdom. And he's telling them all of these bad things. And he tells them, you're going to be sent before councils and synagogues. You're going to be beaten. And don't worry about what you're going to say. Don't prepare ahead of time because I'm going to give you what to say. We think about, uh, for instance, when, the, when Stephen was uh, stoned to death, he spoke so eloquently that his his persecutors, they were, they were speechless. They didn't, know what to, they didn't know what to say. They couldn't respond to it. And that's because the Holy Spirit was speaking through him. God was giving them special grace in that moment to handle it. And then he says, in verse 11... But when, yeah, it's already, already covered that. So go to verse 12. Now, brother will betray brother to death, and, and a father his child, and children will rise up against parents and cause them to be put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake, but he who endures to the end shall be saved. So there's going to be persecution. The gospel is going to be preached everywhere. Uh, the Bible has been translated in all of these different languages. I don't know if it's gotten every one. There's so many different languages in the world. But there's 8 billion people on the earth. Not everyone has heard the gospel. But during this time period, so he's going to be talking about in the tribulation period. Here's what's going to happen in the tribulation period. First of all, 144,000 Jewish people, 12,000 from each tribe of, of Israel, uh, will be, and these are all men, they will be like super evangelists that God is going to raise up for that specific time period. That's in Revelation chapter 7, verse 14. Revelation chapter 11, verse 3, uh, it talks about these two witnesses that God is going to raise up, and they will have spe special powers. Some people think that will be Elijah and Moses because they were on the Mount of Transfiguration there are some people who think it might be Elijah and Enoch because those are two men who never died. Enoch was taken up, uh, basically raptured away in Genesis chapter 5. And then one last thing. In Revelation chapter 14, verse 6, an angel is going to fly through the air speaking in every language the eternal gospel. Before Jesus comes again, before the end of the tribulation period, everyone will know the gospel because they will have the two witnesses in Jerusalem. Everyone will see them, based satellite television, I imagine. You're going to have 144,000 Jewish people, Jewish men who are witnessing. And then you're going to have an angel. Lastly, God's giving them one last chance. So everyone will know. Uh, so then... Verse 14. So when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet standing where it ought not, let the reader understand. Now, let the reader understand. Jesus didn't say that. That's Mark interjecting that. Okay? So Jesus said the first part. Jesus is talking to his disciples. Remember the, the situation here. He's talking to the four disciples on the Mount of, on the Mount of Olives. But Mark interjects this because why? Because I think Mark's understanding when he's writing this that Jesus hasn't come back yet and that this is for future. So he's wanting the reader, that's you, to understand. What did he say here? 
spoken of by Daniel the prophet. He wants people to go read that. Read about the Daniel the prophet. So when did Daniel talk about this? In Daniel chapter 9, verse 27. This is what Daniel said. Then he, meaning the Antichrist, shall confirm a covenant with many for one week. That's one week of years, seven years. But in the middle of the week, three and a half years, he shall bring an end to the sacrifice and offering. And on the wing of abomination shall be one who makes desolate even until the consummation which is determined to, is poured out on the desolate. Okay, let me explain what that means because that's a little, a little hard. This is what the New Living Tree, new, the, new, the NIV says this. And at the temple, he will set up an abomination that causes desolation until the end that is, is decreed and poured out on him. So he will be destroyed eventually. Now, there's a lot of things that we can pull out of just this text. One, the temple's going to be rebuilt. You can't have the daily sacrifices unless the temple's rebuilt. The temple's not built yet. But in Israel, and it has been there for decades, is a group of people called the Temple Mount Faithful, and this is what they've all been preparing for. They have all the stuff ready to go, to, all the implements to go inside. They, and I've heard some estimates that they could build that temple in six months. So the, my, my scenario, the way I see this, is the rapture is the next event that would happen. After the rapture of the church, can you imagine hundreds of millions of people disappear? And then the Antichrist will come on the scene and he'll have all the answers, and people will buy the lie, and then he'll set up a system, I think it'll be a socialist system, which you have a one-world government, and at some point in the middle of the three and a half years, this Jews, he's allowing the Jews to do the daily sacrifice again, and in the middle of the three and a half years, after three and a half years, in the middle of seven years, he will go into the temple and proclaim himself to be God, and that is the abomination. Now, this event has happened in the past. Uh, Daniel writes about it. But in 597 B.C., Nebuchadnezzar came to Israel and he destroyed the temple and took all the implements and took them back to Babylon. And he set up some idol there. That was an abomination. In 168 B.C., Antiochus Epiphanes, who was a Seleucid king, he attacked Israel killed tons of Jews and set up in the temple he slaughtered a pig which is unclean and, and then forced the priest to eat it and he caused an abomination as well now when Jesus is talking about this and he mentions Daniel he's not talking about that because what he's talking about is going to happen in the future Caligula in 68 AD he wanted to send uh, an idol, a statue, and put it up in the temple in Jerusalem, but he died in 68 AD, and it didn't, get ha it didn't happen. But after Titus destroyed the temple in 70 AD, he set up a Roman idol there as well. Again, the abomination. Every time this happened in the past, it was judgment on the nation of Israel. So it's going to happen again in the future. The, the temple will be rebuilt. And this is what I think Mark is talking about when he says, let the reader understand. Oh, back to the text. Let the reader understand, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let, the, let him who is on the housetop not go down to the house. 
nor enter to take anything out of the house, to let him who is in the field not go back to get his clothes. But woe to those who are pregnant in those days, who are nursing babies in those days, and pray that your flight not, may not be in winter. For such, for in those days there will be, there will be tribulation such as has not been since the beginning of the creation which God created until this time, nor shall ever be. Now think about that statement. What he's saying is that when the temple is destroyed, when, well, when this abomination of desolation happens, if you're in Jerusalem at that time, don't go back to get anything. You need to flee because he is going to kill all these Jewish people. In fact, we know in the middle of the tribulation period, the Antichrist will be given the authority and he will kill the two witnesses. They will lie in the streets for three days and the whole world will see him and they will rejoice and give gifts to one another because those two witnesses caused so much heartache on the whole world. They stopped it from raining, they turned the water to blood, all of these different things. And so they were glad to see them dead and they wouldn't allow them to be buried. And after three days, those two witnesses will, the life will come back into them and they will rise back to heaven as a testimony. So what Jesus is also telling them that the temple is going to be destroyed, not one stone left on another. This is a picture of what's going to happen in 70 AD, and the same thing was happening. So Titus, the Roman general, surrounded Jerusalem, wouldn't let the people leave. They couldn't get any provisions. They were starving them out. And we know this from Josephus, the Jewish historian. He wrote pretty extensively about this, and it was terrible. Um, enough of that. So a lot of times when there's prophecy in Scripture, there's a near prophecy and a far prophecy. There's a, a near fulfillment and a distant fulfillment. And that's what happened with this. Uh, there was a, uh, it was coming on them, the destruction of the temple, but also it's going to happen in the future. Notice also that he says that this tribulation will be worse than anything that has ever happened. Think about that. Worse than the flood. Because this is going on and on. Let me get to the next part. He says in verse 20, And unless the Lord had shortened those days, no flesh would be saved. But for the elect's sake, whom he chose, he shortened the days. Then if anyone says to you, look, here's the Christ, or look, he is there, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will rise and show signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. But take heed, see, I have told you all these things ahead of time, beforehand. That is, that is a key. God is telling us these things ahead of time. He wants us to know what's coming. If you didn't know what was coming and then you saw men who came on the scene and said, I'm Christ, and they performed a miracle, you would buy it. But he's telling us ahead of time, don't be deceived by that. How will you know when Christ comes back? He's gonna come back in the air, okay? Somebody who is out in a desert and says they're Jesus, sorry. You didn't come back the right way. When Jesus left this earth, there were two angels standing by the disciples and said, why are you standing here looking up? The same Jesus will come back in the same way you've seen him go. Now, he's going to come back in the, in the rapture. He'll come in the air, and we who are alive and remain will go to meet him in the air, who are in Christ. That's just for the Christians. People who are not Christian don't go. They stay. They're left behind. But at the second coming, after the tribulation period, when Christ comes all the way to the earth and he'll come all the way to the Mount of Olives and the Mount of Olives will split from east to west, that's 
the Jesus of the Bible. That's how you'll know. I don't plan to be here. I hope you're not planning on being here either for that. So, next we go to verse 21. But in those days, after that great, after the tribulation, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. I need to hurry here. Uh, will not give its light. And the moon will not give its light. And the stars of heaven will fall. And the, and the powers of heavens will be shaken. Then uh, he... Then they will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory. That's how you're going to know he's coming back. Now, what he says here about the sun losing its light and the moon, I find this very interesting because in Revelation chapter 8, it says this. And when he'd open this, uh, let me go down. He's talking about the uh, trumpet judgments. Here we go. Verse 7, the first angel sounded, and hail and fire followed, mingled with blood, and they were thrown to the earth. A third of the trees were burned up, and all the green grass was burned up. Now, this is a judgment. This is the wrath of God. Now, and then he goes on, and these different trumpets bring different things, but it's all one event, I believe. I believe it's all one event. And then the next one says, and the third, uh, and then the second angel sounded, and something like a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea, and a third of the sea became blood. Then the third angel sounded, and a great star fell from heaven, burning like a torch, and it fell on a third of the rivers and on the springs of water. And the name of the star was Wormwood. A third of the waters became Wormwood, and many, many men died from the water because it was made bitter." Now, here's the reason I think it's all the same event. I've heard people, a lot of people talk about this. Uh, I, I kind of like Jimmy Evans, I'm pastor, and I've seen some of his uh, videos about this as well. When you have a meteor coming into our atmosphere, it breaks apart, and parts of it, it, it starts to disintegrate, and you'll have a shower of other particles coming down, smaller meteors, and also, when it hits, it's like multiple nuclear bombs going off. So, I think what we're seeing here is that all of these stars are actually the debris from this massive meteor. I just saw yesterday on the Drudge Report, it was linked to a story about there's a meteor that's taller than the Eiffel Tower. It's 1,000 feet in diameter, and it's going to miss Earth by 3 million miles. Uh, the, the sun's 93 million miles away from us. The moon is 350,000 miles away from us. This is going to go by by 3 million miles. It's pretty close. And it's going an, an incredible amount of speed. But something that size, if you've ever been to Meteor Crater out in Arizona, uh, they think that that was like the size of a VW bus or something like that, and it made a, a crater a mile wide. So this is, says it's going to hit the sea. And when it hits, it's going to turn the sea to blood. Also, can you imagine the tidal waves? Can you imagine all of the stuff that happens after that? And then after that, we're talking about this great mountain. That's doing, that's what I was talking about, this great mountain that's going to hit the sea. And then after that, there's another star, maybe smaller, that's going to hit the fresh water and it's going to poison all the fresh water. Could be radioactive. And anybody who drinks the water dies. 
and a third of the earth is going to be uh, experiencing this. And then it says in verse 12, the fourth angel sounded, and a third of the sun was struck, and a third of the moon, and a third of the stars, so that you couldn't see them during the day and the night. Okay? And that's the debris, probably, from all of the fallout from this happening. So a third of the world is, is experiencing this. And Jesus says, it, says this in, Luke, in Mark chapter 13. And um, here we go. In Mark chapter 13. And then he says in verse 26, Then they will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds in great glory. So at the worst part, when things look like everything's lost, then Jesus comes back. So then we go to the parable of the fig tree. So I'm going to move quickly here. The parable of the fig tree. Hal Lindsey had a, a viewpoint of this, and I've, I've studied all back and forth, and I've come to a different conclusion than Hal Lindsey. He says there, but in those days, after that tribulation, oh, I'm going to, verse 28 is where I'm going. Now, learn this parable of the fig tree. When its branches already become tender and puts forth leaves, you know that summer is near. So also, when you see these things happening, know it is near at the doors. Assuredly, I say to you, this generation shall by no means pass away till all these things take place. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words will no, by no means pass away. When he says here, when you see these things, verse 29, so when you, also, when you see these things happening, know that it is near, his coming is near. Assuredly, I say to you that this generation shall not pass away. Now, some people say, well, the fig tree represents Israel, so they became a nation in 1948, so that means that a generation after that, and they used to say it was 40 years, now they're saying it's 70 or 80 years, so that means we would put it in our time period, so that generation will not pass away before everything else takes place. I don't think that's what it says. But it says when you see these things, what things? What he just mentioned before, which I just told you about. When you see the abomination of desolation, when the generation that sees the abomination of desolation go into the temple and proclaim himself to be God, that generation will not pass away until everything else is finished, until Jesus comes back. That generation will see the second coming. When, somebody sell, when the temple is rebuilt and, and somebody proclaims themselves to be God and goes in and, and wants everybody to worship him, that generation will see the fulfillment of, of what's taking place here and Jesus will come back before then. And then finally, verse 32. Also notice that Jesus says that his words will not pass away, but heaven and earth will pass away. They just had a big another climate change conference in which like 400 private jets flew to Glasgow to uh, have talk about how you know our carbon footprint is destroying the earth. They need to read the Bible. If they read the Bible, they wouldn't be wasting all the time and money that they're doing over there because that's not going to do anything to stop this. Once these things start to happen, there's no turning back. And climate change got nothing. You're going to see climate change, and it's going to be right here. So Jesus says that his word, heaven and earth will pass away, and he's going to create a new heaven and earth, but this, his word will not pass away. Then he says, verse 32, but of that day and hour, no, man, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. At the time when Jesus was here, he divested himself of all knowledge, I mean, so that he didn't know, he knew a lot, he could do a lot of things, but he didn't allow himself to have this knowledge, 
He gave us what he knew at the time, but only the Father. Now, he's resurrected back with the Father. I'm sure he knows everything now, obviously. He's allowed himself to have full knowledge. I'm just saying that. Verse 33, take heed, watch and pray. So watch, the word watch is used four times in the next four verses. And look at the last word of this chapter, watch. Now I ask you, does he want us to watch? Does he want us to pay attention to the culture? He says, take heed, watch and pray. This is what we're to do in the meantime. For you do not know when the time is. It is like a man going to a far country who left his house and gave authority to his servants to, and, to each, uh, and to each his work and commanded the doorkeeper to watch. Watch, therefore, for you do not know when the master of the house is coming. In the evening, at midnight, at the crowing of the rooster, or in the morning. I will tell you this, when Jesus comes back, he will come back at all three, because on the earth, at any one time, this is all happening. It's nighttime, it's morning, and, and, or it's noon. And then he says this, he says, left coming suddenly, he finds you sleeping. And what I say to you, I say to all, watch. Now, when he says they're sleeping, we all have to sleep. A third of our life is spent sleeping, probably. But he's not talking about it's actually the act of sleeping. He's talking about being apathetic about any of this. He doesn't want Christians to go through life not caring if people live or die or go to hell or go to heaven. He wants us to be concerned. He wants us to watch. He wants us to tell others that Jesus is coming again. But Gary... If I tell people Jesus is coming again and they don't come and he doesn't come, won't I, that make me look bad? You know, I, it does it invalidate my message? No, it doesn't invalidate your message. The disciples wrote about it. Paul preached it. Jesus is coming at some point. The other thing too, when you look at the culture, I mentioned last time that I was here that. Uh, you know that we're getting close to Christmas when Halloween gets here and you start hearing the Christmas songs. And, and that happened. I was in the, I was in the uh, Walmart yesterday and I heard Christmas music playing. We're not even to Thanksgiving yet. So it happens earlier and earlier. We're seeing the signs. And here are just some of the signs. G Israel is back in the, in the nation. Jewish people are moving back there. I just saw that yesterday in an article about the some of the Jewish people, and there's a quite a few Jewish people in, in Ethiopia, and they're being persecuted, and so the, they're wanting to get out. And where do they want to go? They want to go to Israel. God is calling the Jewish people back to their homeland. They're speaking Hebrew again in Israel. That's another fulfilled prophecy. A quarter of the Bible is prophecy. Half of, the, half of those prophecies have been fulfilled. The other half are yet to be fulfilled but they will be fulfilled. If a guy is able to hit the mark 300 times in a row, you're going to bet against him on the next one? I'm not. And the Bible is always true, and it always validates. We see it happening in our culture today where the nations of the world have rejected God. Uh, a little commercial here. If you haven't signed up for my newsletter, I encourage you to do that. And... Uh, I just finished this writing a series. So I don't just, you know, if you get my emails, you don't just get cartoons. I also write every week. I just finished a series called Seven Men Who Rule the World from the Grave based on a book by Dave Brees. He wrote this in 1990. I'm just updating it. 
But the men he talked about were all born in the 1800s. Charles Darwin. The effect of Darwinism still affects everyone in the world today. They have believed a lie. Karl Marx, socialism, continues to rule the world. Even though it has failed every time it's been tried, it continues to rule the world. And I believe in the last, a, in the last age, the tribulation period, it'll be a socialist government that will be ruling. Julius Wellhausen, liberal religion. The Bible's not, you can't buy all of the Bible. I mean, some of the Bible's not true. Bought into the liberalism, and people have bought into that lie as well. John Dewey ruined the school system. Made it an ex- a place of experiments. Is that going on today? We're experimenting in the, in the school system instead of just teaching the truth, teaching facts. And then we have um, Sigmund Freud. I don't think I have to explain Sigmund Freud. And if you don't know about Sigmund Freud, just look him up uh, on the Internet. I mean, it's, and we've become sex-obsessed uh, because of his teaching. And then we have... Uh, Soren Kierkegaard, and, and, and then we have uh, John Maynard Keynes. Keynesian economics basically made government God. Every problem you have, government will, government will fix your, your problem, and they just spend more and more money that they don't have to give you stuff that you don't need uh, to impress people you don't like. That's what basically it is. <laughs> and so what, we have these... These philosophies that started in the 1800s, and this is one thing that David Brees said, and I'm going to repeat this in my next column. The reason those philosophies took root, the reason those lies were successful was because Christians didn't stand up to it and, and fight back with the truth. We were silent. We just let it go. We didn't believe it, but we just let it go. And some of those lies have now infiltrated the church not this church, but there are a lot of churches that have gone way off, away from the word of God. They have rejected this as truth. How do we, how do we respond to these people? How do you respond to somebody? You have to know this book. If you know this book, God will give you the answers when you're talking to somebody. Uh, that's my ministry now is to do that. And I repeat one thing here. Um, that I said the last time, I give you a bunch of reasons. I don't, we don't have time. Oh, I'm past time. Well, I don't have time to look at that. But I gave you a bunch of reasons last time I was here. God did not appoint us to wrath. We are not going, if you know Christ as your Savior, you're not going through what I just read you about. We're not going to experience this meteor that's going to hit us. In fact, if, you, if you're curious, go look up Apophis. Apophis is a, a meteor that keeps in our orbit around the sun. It, it passes by. It gets close. It hasn't hit us yet. NASA says it won't hit us, but at one point, sometime in the future, Jesus predicted that it was going to do it. Something's going to happen. If you don't know Christ as your personal Savior, please, I implore you, make him your Savior today. Don't go through life. Don't go through life just living for yourself. Jesus wants you to live with him forever. He's the only way, the only truth, the only life. He's the resurrection and the life. If you don't have him, you don't have life. If you're at the end of your life and you haven't got Jesus, you don't have anything. What do you own that death can't take away? Nothing. But Paul said, for me to live as Christ and to die as gain. Let's pray.
Father, thank you so much for this time to look into your word. And um, I pray if there be anybody here today who doesn't know you as Lord and Savior, that they would make you the Lord of, your life, of their life. I pray that uh, as you have risen from the dead and offer us eternal life, if we would only repent and, and put you first, Lord, that seems so simple, but yet so many people miss it. They understand it in their head, but miss it in their heart. I pray that today they, they would uh, make you the Lord of their life. And Father, one last thing I, I pray for Christians here who heard a message, yeah, Jesus is coming, but they don't, they don't believe it will be in their lifetime. I pray that you'd put an urgency in our own hearts to win our family, to talk to our family, to talk to our friends about the truth. I pray that you would motivate us as a church, your church, to be salt and light. Please help us, we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. Let's thank Gary for being with us this morning. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Thank you for being a part of Harmony at Home and allowing us to share hope with you. You know, when we think about the love of Jesus, it's absolutely amazing to stop and realize that he gave his life for you and for me. And all we have to do is simply put our faith and trust in his death, his burial, and his resurrection. And that changes us for all eternity. Today, if you've never invited Jesus to forgive you of your sins and to be your personal savior, I want to encourage you to do that right now. It's as simple as admitting that your life is not perfect, admitting that you've sinned, that you've missed God's mark of perfection, and putting your faith and trust in his son, Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus is God's love in action, and he demonstrated his love for you and for me by going to the cross, by being buried and by rising again on the third day. And today, if you'd like to invite him to forgive you of your sins and to be your savior, I would encourage you right where you are just to simply say, Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner and I'm asking you to forgive me of my sins and to be my savior. And he will do it. If you've made that decision today, please let us know. Please reach out to us. We would love the opportunity to help you learn more about who Jesus is and the incredible plan that he has for your life. If you are a part of the Harmony family, uh, you're a part of our Harmony uh, online community and our online campus, I want to thank you for joining us as well. And I want to invite you to start regathering with us in person if you would like to do so. But please remember, we're keeping everything online as well, so you're not going to miss out uh, on our Sunday morning experience and the other things that we've been doing through the week. We're going to continue to offer those and to continue to meet a need in your life. And if you would like to help us continue uh, to serve our community and, and literally the world, uh, we would encourage you to hop on over to harmonyofavon.com forward slash give, and you'll be able to help us continue the ministry and to make a difference, not only here locally, but globally as well. Thank you for being a part of Harmony at Home, and I pray uh, for God's greatest blessings in your life, and I hope that you'll continue to stay connected to us throughout the week. You have a great day.